0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is BELIEVE. Hello and welcome to the Healthy Herb Podcast, a place of information and inspiration for the home herbalist. I'm Bridget Doherty of the Solidago School of Herbalism, coming to you from a bridged island on the coast of Maine. In today's show, I'm talking about what is an herbalist and what is herbalism. Before we get started, I want you to know that I'm not a doctor, nor do I diagnose or treat people. What I share is based on my own experience and what I've learned from my mentors. Ultimately, I want you to be empowered in seeking and achieving your own version of optimum health. I want you to be inspired to connect and relate to the plants that grow all around you. Now, without further ado, let's have some fun and dig in. So the question is what is an herbalist it's kind of a a term that is used a lot and maybe you're kind of curious well how do i how's it defined how do we determine or how am i allowed to call myself an herbalist at what point or stage in my studies or in life or or whatever like what makes a person an herbalist and really herbalists are people who connect with plants and appreciate them for their useful, medicinal, nutritive, and healing properties, and who incorporate these plants into their own daily lives, as well as help others to do the same. My one of my mentors um, always described herbalism as an arc, like there's this beautiful arc of herbalism. And on one side, it's naked people rolling around in the wild plants, getting dermal absorption and, you know, really fully connecting with them in mind, body and spirit. And then on the other end of the arc of herbalism are people in white lab coats in laboratories, extracting chemical constituents from the medicinal plants and turning them into drugs. So it's quite a huge spectrum. And within that spectrum, there are people that have preferred professions or niches or aspects of working with the plants that they prefer, because we can't do it all. So an herbalist could be gardeners, they can be farmers on a larger scale, they can be medicine makers, they can be herbal beauty care product makers. They can be clinicians that actually sit down um, with people and help them to know what herbs are best to help them heal from whatever health conditions they may have. They can be poem herbalists, people who just take care of themselves and their loved ones with, with herbal medicine and herbal remedies. Um, they can be family herbalists who will just, you know, work with kids and elders and people in their community, community herbalists, um, just t- to help guide folks who may have questions or want to know how to help themselves and their own families with herbs there's the backyard herbalists who just like hanging out in their backyards and checking out the wild wonderful weeds growing there and making fun home home remedies with those plants or eating wild salads herbalists can be botanists they can be ethnobotanists who go around the world and study and learn the traditions of Of other people and um, how they work with plants. They can be the scientists who pick apart the plants bit by bit and study each constituent and try to figure out how they all fits into the big puzzle of how the plants work with the humans. They can be the distributors. They can be the people that organize you know, getting mass amounts of plants from one place to another place, and then breaking those plants up and distributing them to households around the globe. They can be herb shop owners. They can be pharmacists that have a specialty in herbalism. They can be health food store workers that, hang out in the herb section and help people to pick out products that might be helpful for them. They can be mothers and grandmothers who've been passing down um, herbal family grimoires and herbal traditions from grandmother to mother to child through generations and just take, you know, as just a way of life. So it's a huge field of herbalism and herbalists and lots of different aspects that you can get into. You can get into multiple aspects or you can just focus on one aspect and really delve deep into that. In the United States and many other places of the world, there's no national certification or licensing of herbalists. So you don't need to have a specific degree or have to have passed a certain specific exam or test that then tells you you are now an herbalist. There are organizations um, like the American Herbalist Guild in America that could, may recognize herbalists that adhere to what that organization's standards are. Um, and you can be recognized by that organization or registered with the organization. Um, and promote yourself that way as an herbalist, especially, I think, especially beneficial for clinical or quote unquote medical herbalists that are really in depth working with clients with really serious health conditions. And so it's really nice for those clients when they're looking for a holistic healthcare practitioner that focuses on herbs. That they have these organizations that they can go to that can be like, oh, who have you approved that's in my area that I can trust that I know has some standards that they have to follow and that they've been approved by this board. But I personally don't think that that's the only way that we should define herbalists at all. I think that there is a place for that, but definitely, you know, there is a place for the home herbalist, the community herbalist, the herb farmers and growers, and people that just want to embrace herbalism for themselves and their families, and they too are herbalists and can be considered herbalists and can feel confident in calling themselves herbalists herbalism is the medicine of the common people. It always has been. It's our birthright as earth beings to, if we so choose, to learn about and help ourselves to be healthier with the plants that grow around us. No one can take that away from us. Like That is our right. Just as it's our right to be able to share the information and experiences that we have with herbs and pass them on to other people. It's just as much a right of us as eating food and being able to grow our own food if we choose, that we may then also um, work with plants to help to heal ourselves and our people in our community or our friends and our family and to teach others to do so. We don't have to go to a fancy, expensive university or school to learn how to become healthier with the usefulness of safe and effective herbs. Because it's it's a very different way of healing than to be a medical doctor, which we are very glad that we have medical doctors and that they have to go to universities and they have to go pass very strict certifications because the medicines that they work with and the health conditions that they treat and work with are very complicated and the medicines are poisonous. And so they need to have really strict guidelines and really strict licensure. But with herbalism, it's all very simple. It can be very safe and very effective. And it's really exciting to me when people contact me who are just getting into herbalism and they are just really excited to connect with the plants, but they they don't really know where to start. And in some ways, I feel overwhelmed for them because I know what a amazingly vast field of information that herbalism offers and what a great depth as deep as the deepest ocean of depths of avenues that you can explore and work in in the realms of herbalism and there are so many different fun directions that you can go um, you know, herbalism has been a passion of mine for 25 years, and I still feel that I'm exploring and learning and looking out at this amazingly complex tapestry of information and herbs and plants and health and growing. And it's just such a vast, amazing topic that you will never know everything. It's never something that could be mastered, because there's always more to learn and to explore, which is awesome. But sometimes it's intimidating and overwhelming, especially when you're just starting out. So it is one of the absolute best parts of herbalism is that you can learn it for the rest of your life. And there still will be, you'll still just feel like you've scratched the surface. Really is, you know, the, the best thing I think to do is to start with connecting with the plants that grow right outside your door. Because you can learn so much just from them. And It's by working with the plants that you see every day and really getting to know them. And really getting to know them might just mean, first of all, learning how to identify them. So you are totally confident and comfortable that you know exactly what those plants are and that they are safe to work with. Um, And that's a great starting point. And then just to take, you know, to learn about one or two of them or three or four in depth. And when you really dive deep into a few herbs, you can gain so much information about herbs in general, because there's a lot of similarities. Once you start learning about the actions, the medicinal actions of, you know, one or two or three herbs, then when you start learning about more herbs, you'll already understand those actions from the first herbs and you'll be able to draw correlations a lot more easier once you really get to understand a few herbs you kind of learn herbalism and learn how it works through the lens of concentrating on just a few herbs to start i started one of the ways that i started when i really was feeling like i wanted to really get to know the herbs well as i took the Peterson field guide of medicinal plants and this was in the 90s and they have a great um if you can get the edition that's from like 1994 or 95 it's still illustrated instead of all photographs because a really nice illustrated field guide is better than photographs because they can offer you more details you can see more and um of what the ID characteristics are, I think. And then the Peterson Field Guide for Medicinal Plants is nice because it will give you a little ethnobotanical description of how the herbs have been used. And they also, the other nice thing about the Peterson Field Guide is that they are very, super cautious. So if there's any chance that there's any negative reaction that could happen, they're going to highlight it. Like if you could, if there's any chance you'll get contact dermatitis from touching this plant, they're going to have an exclamation mark in a triangle <laughs> next to the plant. So extremely, extremely cautious, which is, which is good to know. So it was just fun. And then you're like, oh my gosh, like you just start, once you start learning a couple plants, then you start seeing the great diversity of all of the different plants that are right around you even when you're in a city or in the country there's just it's you can start to discern more easily the differences in herbs and so that's really the first way is just to become very observant and connect with the plants and then from there there's lots of different ways to go about becoming an herbalist or learning about herbs you can kind of get a sense of what aspect of herbalism you're most interested in exploring whether it's gardening and growing the herbs or if it's um, you know working in a pharmacy and working with the standardized extracts and you know getting really scientific about it or working with people in a clinical setting or product making, wherever you find joy, and whatever your calling is, you can find a way to incorporate herbs into that, even if it's, you know, working with the spiritual energies of the plants, or creating art from them. However, you are connected to it, there is a place there to develop your connection with the herbs and how you want to express your aspect of herbalism. Another way is just to really start incorporating the herbs into everyday life. So start working with the nourishing herbs. I really like working with the nourishing herbal infusions, where you're drinking a quart of nourishing herbal infusion that has one herb in it every day, so that you're just really starting to taste them and get to know the chemistry and get to feel how the herbs work within your body, using herbs in cooking, uh, exploring wild food and what herbs you can eat right out of your backyard, any sort of daily teas or tinctures that you want to explore just so that you are really developing a lifestyle habit of working with the herbs and seeing how they can help simple medicines for normal everyday kind of common health complaint complaints and how they can help you um, with those people come to herbalism in a variety of different ways some people come to being herbalists after seeing firsthand how the how beneficial they are to health or you know a lot of people have had really amazing healing experiences with herbs for themselves. And then they're like, wow, these are great. I need to learn more. I need to help people experience what I have experienced with the herbs. Some people have had just a deep calling from childhood. They don't really even know what it means, but they just know that they are herb people and they just are always craving and need to know more information about the herbs. That's how I how I have come to herbalism. Um, Some people are influenced by their families, their grandparents, their great-grandparents, or friends. And now that we have this amazing worldwide web, this internet of people that are all sharing thoughts and stories, it's a lot easier to be inspired and to be exposed to all kinds of different information about herbalism, which is pretty amazing to have watched the evolution of just the availability of the of the information and seeing how much herbalism has caught on and come back to people in the in America which is where I'm from and what my experience is granted you know 75 to 80 percent of the world population uses herbal medicine so in America, it may seem like this new huge thing that's like blossoming again and um, really taking hold. But throughout the world, it has been and remains the our number one medicine and um, healing traditions there. You know, if you want to learn more about herbalism, just kind of finding your local herbalist um, learning about the herbs that grow in your bioregion with your local herbalist, going on herb walks, maybe even working, getting a job in a local herb shop or in a health food store that sells a lot of herbal remedies and getting, talking to people, talking to customers that come and go. There's an amazing array of herb schools available in the United States that you can uh check into and now more than ever there's so many online opportunities to learn so you don't have to up and change your whole life and move to where there is a, an herb school oftentimes you can start online although it's i definitely recommend having some sort of a one-on-one mentor relationship where it's you aren't only just reading <clears throat> um things online or watching videos As you get more in-depth, it's really nice to have a a teacher that you can have a one-on-one connection with. There are still elders in our herbal community who really developed and brought upon the herbal renaissance in the United States, starting in the 60s, 70s. And they are um, still here and teaching, and they have a huge array of students and who are now becoming the next wave of elders in the herbal world in the United States. And so they are great resources to tap into. Definitely a huge array of beautiful books that are written by herbalists and ethnobotanists to look into and to start building a library of, a reference library. And then working with learning how to prepare the herbs and not getting hung up on the details like knowing that it's okay there's a lot of gray area you can just play around with it and you're not gonna necessarily do it wrong you can always do it a little bit better and by experimenting and exploring you can always do it better but don't let the fine details of making herbal remedies stop you because it's definitely more of an art and a craft than it is a science. It can definitely become a science in making herbal remedies, and that's fine, too, and important when you get to a certain stage and type of herbalism. But for the home herbalist and for the beginning herbalist and For the backyard herbalists, it's really just about having fun with it, letting intuition guide you, tapping into your creative side and seeing what you can create, co-create with the herbs. And again, realizing that, that the herbs are living, conscious beings. They are just as alive and conscious as you and me. They may not have legs to walk around on, so they are kind of they they have evolved very differently from us but they are our ancestors and connecting with them on a one-on-one basis is going to be very very valuable in your expansion as an herbalist and really you know the basic herbal remedies that are still made today have not changed very much over a very long time. You know, the biggest change probably happened a couple hundred years ago, a few hundred years ago. I'm not exactly sure of the exact date, but when distilling became a thing and we started making alcohol and that and the the ability to make essential oils like that process really changed an aspect of uh, brought a new type of herbal remedy to the forefront and to being used that is alcohol-based herbal remedies. And alchemy itself, when alchemy, the whole act of taking apart herbs and little bitty pieces, and I think alchemy, they were really trying to see how they could make metals and gold out of Things that weren't gold, um, and how you can just kind of take it all apart. And that was really kind of the beginning of the scientific tradition of herbalism and really, um, you know, turning herbs into pharmaceuticals and drugs. But before that, it was, you know, you had your herbs, you had a couple different solvents, you could ferment the herbs and into fermented alcohols or fermented vinegars. You had honey um, as a as a source of a preservative, and you had drying, and you had water, able to dry the herbs and infuse them in water. Those things are ancient, and I always think it's interesting because we always hear about you know the ancient healing traditions of China and India and how they're the oldest traditions of healing that go back, you know, three thousand years and in in Ayurveda, going back 5,000 years, maybe, but really, that's still a very small amount of human history. Humans have been a part of this earth for far longer than that, at least 200,000 years for, quote, unquote, modern humans, um, homo sapiens. And what do you think there are healing traditions and medicine were for all of that time? And still to today, it had to have been the herbs and the plants. There was nothing else. And so it is the most ancient tradition of healing is working with these herbs and these plants. And it remains today. Like I said, 75 to 80% of the world's population uses herbal medicine And that was the World Health Organization uh, claimed that in 2010. And, And I assume it would be right around that amount today as well. But it's always been home remedies, working with the plants, mothers taking care of their families, grandmothers passing down the information, taking care of the families. And I just I feel it deep in my bones. I mean, what else could there be? We have been co-evolving with these plants, with these same herbs for since we have been humans. And, you know, there have been Neanderthal skulls, you know, a Neanderthal skull found in Spain dating back 50,000 years that had traces of yarrow in their teeth. I have this other interesting story. I I don't know if this is just folklore or if this is a true story, but I remember when I was first studying herbs, I was always, you know, the whole willow bark, you know, yielding the process and becoming aspirin. And that there was a bear that was, I don't even know where it was, maybe Alaska, or maybe that's just in my mind. I think of big bears, in Alaska, even though I know they're everywhere. But there was a bear that, you know, came into this village and was acting all crazy. And the village people were very concerned about this bear and didn't think it was safe because it was acting all wild. Then eventually they were able to kill the bear uh, for the safety of the town. And when they looked at the bear, they realized in its mouth it had an abscess, a t- an infection in its mouth, in its tooth, which was obviously causing the bear pain. But also in that bear's mouth, it had uh, chewed up and had a bolus of willow bark in its mouth and to help to with that pain, to help with the pain. And supposedly, well, how I learned it from that story is that's what cued us into like oh well maybe we should make aspirin with this i don't know but or make a drug with this to help relieve pain although i i that doesn't sound right to me now but um interesting though that i mean even it's been shown that animals are other than human animals other animals are able to connect with these plants and know um the healing some of the healing benefits of them and so it just it's Again, it's part of our birthright as beings of this earth to be able to work with these ancient plant ancestors that have we have co-evolved with and that our bodies know and recognize and have worked with since we have been humans. It's pretty fascinating. Someone told me recently I was in a yoga class pre-pandemic when we were having yoga classes together, And, you know, I think I was talking about a herbal workshop I was going to be hosting. And this woman, she's, I think she's maybe in her late 60s, early 70s. And she was just kind of like, oh, yeah, I still just don't know that I believe in that, like herbalism in general. And I was, and for me, I was kind of shocked. I was like, wait, what? You don't believe in it? How is that even possible? And I realized there are a lot of people out there that maybe don't believe in the benefits that herbs offer but I remember just being so shocked because it's what I base so much of my life around and it's such a strong belief of mine that I was just kind of like, "Oh, I can't I can't believe someone doesn't believe in this." And I still find it a little fascinating. Um but, you know, her husband was was a is a retired physician and I guess it, she just grew up in a in a different realm and was raised in a, in a different realm where, where you can not believe that herbs have healing benefits. But um, for me, you know, it's like how long, how else could humans still exist today and be so successful in our reproduction and being part of this world? Like how, how, other than with the help of the herbs and again because you know 75 to 80 percent of the world's population uses herbal medicine as, a, as their first go-to medicine or maybe the only medicine that they can actually afford to use um, and then and then you know uh, this this American woman just being like oh yeah I just don't even believe that that works. I'm just like, what? (laughs) How is that a thing? So those are some things to think about, I guess, as you enter into the world of herbalism, if you are just starting, if you are a budding herbalist, or things to consider if you have been into herbalism for a while, and you're kind of like, oh, well, you know, I've... I've been making products forever. Maybe I want to try something else. Maybe I want to try being a clinician or maybe I want to try um, working on an herb farm and seeing how that works for me. You can switch it up if you start getting bored with what you're doing. On another note, Coltsfoot is the first flower that I saw this spring in my garden. And around my house and I was so thrilled to see it Coltsfoot is this beautiful little yellow flower it all it's in the asteraceae family um, it actually looks a little bit like it's mini dandelion flower it's bright yellow and has the little composite petals that all bray out from the center And this is a really cool plant because it is one of the first flowers in the spring. And it pops its flower. It's like flower comes first and then the stem comes behind the flower and then the multiple flowers come. And then eventually it starts to go to seed and it has seed very similar to dandelion that, you know, it's like this little white puff ball and then the seeds float away in the wind and right as it's starting to go to seed, you start to see the little leaves forming at the base of the stems and the leaves. And as the stems wither away and the seeds have been sent, the f- the leaves get bigger and bigger. And eventually, by the fall, the leaves can be, you know, six inches across, maybe in diameter. And... They have this really nice, soft, like almost fuzzy texture to them. And they have a shape that looks similar to a, a horse hoof, hence the name Colt's foot. And this herb is called, botanical name is tusilago farfara. And the tusilago, uh refers to the fact that it used to be used as a cough remedy. So, the seer or t u s s e r e means to cough in Latin, and then ago, so it's tusela, and then ago is the second half of the first genus name. And ago basically in Latin means to act on, or possibly to cast away, or to make, and so it's basically makes coughs go away. And the farfara apparently in Latin means Colt's foot. (laughs) So however, Colt's foot has not really used so much internally because it's been determined that it has some um prolizidine alkaloids in it that may not be so beneficial to our health. And so you but still sometimes people will make remedies from the flowers themselves, and also from sometimes people will dry the leaves and add them to smoking blends to help open the lungs. Like it might be a nice combination to combine with mullen leaves. In 18th century France, the leaf of the coltsfoot, the shape of the coltsfoot leaf, was painted on. Um, apothecary signs as a symbol for get your medicine here kind of place where a lot of people wouldn't necessarily be able to read the word pharmacy or apothecary. They could see that symbol of the coat's foot leaf. And that was the symbol of um, a pharmacy, which I thought is pretty cool. And so this Spring. I'm thinking I might make, I have in the past made like a colt's foot flower infused honey, but I'm thinking this spring I might make an oxymel, which is a honey and apple cider vinegar with herbs infused in it. And those tend to be excellent oxymels in general, even without any herbs infused in them as a nice lung support or lung remedy a nice affinity for the lungs, both the honey and the apple cider vinegar. So then when you put lung-supporting herbs in with them, um, all the more better. So I might try that this spring. But mostly I just really like looking at them, and I think they make a really nice um, edge of a garden where kind of the wild meets the garden. If you are interested in learning more about foraging medicinal plants making herbal remedies growing herbs in your garden or general seasonal backyard and kitchen herbalism you can check out my patreon membership classroom you can find it under the solidago herb school on the patreon website and you can join for a monthly um amount of $5 a month for the base and that you get like a monthly class on a on one of those topics definitely an herb of the month and then for the $10 a month level there's videos on and demonstrations on making medicines with the with those herbs that we'll be talking about and then there's further Um, level tiers where you can work one-on-one with me which I would love. So check that out if you are so inclined. This month we've been focusing on usnia lichen and next month um, we're going to be talking about spring greens, wild salads, and dandelions. I also on my Patreon site open to the public I post um, my podcast notes unedited so just at what guides me as I'm talking to you and so you can check those out if you want to reference anything that I've been talking about you can also find me on Instagram Facebook my website all basically will get you there if you type in Solidago Herb School And you can also sign up for an informational and inspirational newsletter on my website, which I send out weekly mostly and have fun recipes and uh, seasonal herbal tips for you there. Thanks for listening. I really appreciate it. I'm Bridget Doherty. Until next week, be well, let intuition guide you, and have fun with herbs.